welcome to the Libertarian Tex-Mex podcast. Here's your host, Caesar Aguirre. Hey everybody, happy November, happy Monday, happy beginning of the week. We are one week away from Thanksgiving, so, uh, you know, um, we're getting the start of the holidays. I guess we kind of started already, right? We had Halloween last couple weeks ago, or uh, there was the last weekend or something. Um, that's usually the start of the holidays, right? You got Halloween, uh, Thanksgiving, and then we move in right into the holiday season, uh, you know, you've got uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you're practicing out there. Or just, you know, basically here in the U.S., we got Christmas season as the, the big thing here. Um, so we're rolling into the holidays like that. So hopefully you're getting ready and, and uh, getting yourself in the, in the holiday spirits. Uh, some people live for the holidays here, right? And some people are just totally annoyed with it. You know what? Whatever floats your boat, man. Either way, totally cool. Um, I'm kind of in the middle, you know. Uh, I enjoy the holidays. I, I think I like more just some time off, spending time with family um, and, and loved ones, spending time with my wife. Um, you know, just, I guess, enjoy taking those opportunities and enjoying it with the people I care about and then relaxing. So... You know, if we're doing it for Thanksgiving or, you know, celebrating a holiday, that's fine. I'm totally cool with it. But um, definitely viewing it from a more <clears throat> um, individual perspective, just saying, you know what, I'm enjoying this time and, uh, you know, having a good time. So I'm I, uh, taking a little vacation next week, but don't worry, I will be podcasting still on Mondays like usual. Um, just in time for Tuesday morning. You may be on vacation, you may be out shopping, preparing things, but uh, hopefully uh, you'll get a little bit of bite of the Libertarian Tex-Mex podcast um, where we try to mix it up a little bit, talk a little bit about politics, but try to make it a little bit more digestible, a little bit more fun, um, talk about some libertarian principles, um, talk about what's going on in the news, and uh, obviously the favorite, my best favorite thing is to talk about food, um, especially here in the Texas region. There's just so much food out there, so many different cultures going on. Um, it would be a shame if you didn't go out there and enjoy foods. Um, I mean, right now is the time to shine, especially in Houston is the time to shine for food. Uh, just because, you know, people are finally starting to notice um, that we got something going on here, some special some special voodoo in our in our in our food and um people are starting to take notice not crazy like our neighbors like uh austin you know where uh, it's kind of taken over by hipsters hasn't happened yet and i'm hoping it doesn't happen i think the good thing that houston has over austin in terms of the invasion of hipsters uh is that you know it's already an established major metropolitan city so, you know, even if you did have a little enclave of hipsters, which we do, by the way, um, it's not going to be, it's not going to be, it's not going to overrun the, um, 
the city. There's just so there's just too much diversity, right? Too many. It's just the mix, right? Too many, uh, you know, Latinos, too many Hispanic, too many African Americans, uh, too many Asian. In the sense that you can't be overly consumed by the hipster culture, which is predominantly, you know, predominantly white, predominantly Caucasian. You'll have, you know, way too many cultures here, way too many different types of people. That's going to keep that in check. Luckily, hopefully, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but anyways. Um, so we'll definitely have some really great stuff coming up for the holidays. Um, I know the big thing here in Houston, um, picked up from our neighbors, uh, to, to the east from Louisiana is the, uh, famous turducken, um, which is what is, a on the outside, it's a turkey. Uh, on the inside is a chicken and on the inside is the duck something like that right it's like three different meats in there usually fried <laughs> and then enjoyed on thanksgiving so uh if you haven't heard of that look into it turducken check it out some places around pretty much everywhere in the houston area i know for sure sell those those are big hot items uh but you know one of the things um speaking of which you know that coming up with thanksgiving you know my family is kind of pretty much a blended family right um you know we are my main family um my my prime family my my parents are mexican-americans um so um we have that um i have a, a brother-in-law from honduras uh brother-in-law from uh, ecuador or i'm sorry el salvador um and then i've got a brother-in-law from uh, from louisiana who's cajun <clears throat> and then you know obviously my wife um and her family are um you know uh, kind of a irish hungarian uh you know european mix um who have been uh you know in the texas area for quite a while um, so we got, you know, we got a little, little white blend, a little, you know, Hispanic blend and, uh, of different types. And what's, what I say is really interesting is when we get Thanksgiving, um, we have, you know, the traditional Thanksgiving, I think, um, you know, when your, your family comes from another culture, you want to, you know, you know, you want to kind of be in that traditionalism, right. Of the traditional Thanksgiving, right. Uh, classic Turkey, you know, green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, you know, all that stuff. But what I think what really, uh, the addition that we really like is, you know, with our, our kind of culturally and ethnically blended family is that we also bring to the table something of our own original, you know, of our own unique uh, blend, you know. So uh, my uh, brother-in-law, who's uh, Cajun, he likes to uh, bring in kind of a, his own, you know, unique Cajun twist to thanksgiving and uh, we like to do kind of a mexican style maybe some tamales or something like that so we'd like to go in there and kind of mix it up and see what's uh what's new in there and you know again it's one of the one of the benefits of you know um being open to different cultures and different ideas um because you never know what's going to come up you never know what new idea is going to happen so I think, you know, kind of tying it back into the, you know, libertarian approach to being pro-immigration. Um, and obviously with libertarians, there's a huge spectrum of what that means. But if you try to be at least, at 
least in the direction of being pro-immigration or immigration friendly and whatever that means and whatever setup you you know kind of come up to with that um, those are the benefits right we you know the united states immensely benefits from a pro-immigration policy probably more than any other country out there uh, any of the large country or or you know major country uh, major power um, we're definitely the most immigrant friendly and uh, it's definitely something we want to keep up you know definitely something we want to do i know a lot of times there's uh, plenty of people out there that are comparing uh, especially very much so on the conservative republican side who are always comparing immigration policy to other countries that are a little bit more closed-minded on immigration and it's always like look they're you know they don't do this or they don't do that and uh every you know they their country accepts it and everything's fine and it's like well those countries are kind of closed-minded when it comes to other cultures um you know it's not the blend of cultures that we have here i mean america is very uniquely blended in multiculturalism much more than most countries are um most countries you know if you if you've ever experienced um you know going out and visiting other countries is most countries are majority one homogenous culture right you know 90 percent 95 percent japanese or 95 percent you know mexican or 95 percent french or whatever it is right and then you've got a very small population that's something else um you know uh like you know the japanese have a small korean and chinese population um french have a small uh muslim population from the middle east that type of thing it's usually easier in a homogenous culture like that to be a little bit more of um, a stickler in a sense of saying you have to speak a certain language you have to practice a certain thing you have to obey by our rules and that's the only way you have to do it well when you're a homogenous society it's very easy to do that but when you're a very multicultural society like we are you know it's you've got to find the commonalities and uh it's usually pretty base not very specific but if you look at the american culture right you know even our language is so vastly different you know west coast to east coast to texas to louisiana <laughs> uh to the north right to michigan everywhere you know everybody speaks english in a different way and they absorb whatever um additions that those areas add to right like all the cultures that come into it they add into the language and that's one of the beauties about um english in general but the idea of this culture that is not abiding by a set rule of language but that is evolving into something else right you look at spanglish you look at uh cajun um you know um california right they totally have their own talk east coast new yorkers boston you know they've got their own language as well and uh it really helps grow in different ways and uh, this is not this is not nothing to be bad this is this is not bad these are all good things so uh, it, it it allows diversity and it allows for unique identity you know um identity of language identity of people identity of the things you do every day right United States is just so vastly different. It's it's hard to say that we're all one certain type of thing, you know. Um, and, but, you know, the beauty of being in the United States is that each state, 
you know, this these regional areas, you know, have enough autonomy to develop their own, you know, micro micro economies and experiment and, and figure out what's going on. Um, we don't have to abide by the same rules that are out there in California or New York or Michigan or whatever. We're very uniquely our own, you know, and I think Texas always prides itself on being unique on its own, very Texas. And I think even immigration um, needs to be kind of looked at in that light. You know, do we need to be influenced by the uh, immigration policies in California or, um, you know, out in the East Coast or whatever? Um, I think we need to make our own identity um, on immigration and have our own view of it. Um, right now, it's kind of being consumed by, um, you know, uh, a very conservative Republican view um, that has kind of taken a stranglehold in the last, you know, last decade or two, I would say, in terms of the religious right, um, extreme conservatism. Um, but before, you know, Texas was, you know, pretty dominantly uh, moderate Republicans and we had a, we've had Democrats <laughs> as governors, um, you know, I'm thinking very specifically Governor Ann Richards. Um, and right now, the voting population, if you look at the last election, um, we had a very close race. I, I believe I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, it was like 47, 48 percent people voted um, for a Democrat um, on both the Senate and governor races. And then we also had some great increases on the voting of, you know, libertarian um, candidates as well. So I think if you look at the trend, you know, uh, Texas has become increasingly less conservative Republican and, you know, becoming uh, growing a lot more in the Democratic and libertarian spaces. So I think there's a, a great place to look in the future for for what Texas really is, is a, is a place of very different cultures. We come together, uh, we sit at the table, we eat food together. And then we come up with our own take, our own our own take on food, our own take on language, our own take on immigration. And I think that's what we really need to do. Can't be we can't let you know the the parties and uh, you know our president, <laughs> our president who's a New Yorker, who's a Yankee. We can't let them dominate our own feelings, our own views of things. I think we need to have our own unique identity, right? And that's the beauty about being a libertarian is. You know, it gives the space for people to develop their own views and, you know, being able to understand that from that lens about other people to understand that, hey, I have my own views and I want those to be respected. So I must respect other people's views and understand that, you know, I have to kind of see myself in the mirror, so to speak, right? Like see myself in the other person. And understand that I am that person is also fighting for their own perspective um, and I think as long as we're not hurting each other right physically not hurting each other I think that's the line we can all draw is saying hey violence is the line that we have to draw but everything else beyond that you know uh, if it's something I don't agree with we can we can talk about it we can have a conversation to say I don't agree with that um, and we can argue about you know statistics and facts and data and we can kind of go back and forth on those things i think that's perfectly acceptable and then when you hear something that's you know that you think is racist or sexist or 
uh, or mean-spirited just in general, right? Something that's just malicious. It's okay for you to stand up and say, that's malicious, that's racist, that's sexist, that's not cool, man. You know, I don't want to participate in that or I don't, uh, I don't think you sh should use your position like that, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, when you face those types of things, um, you should definitely stand up um, for your ability to say something is wrong, right? But I think no matter what, the line of violence shouldn't be crossed, even if you think you're right. You know, this whole, you remember it was like last year or the year before, there was that whole uh, movement, you know, the to punch, it's okay to punch a Nazi. Um, I remember that thing and it. I mean, immediately I was uh, like, I, I don't, I, I don't understand how there is, and I have friends that were that were doing that, that were totally okay with this, and I, you know, protested it then, and I was like, I, I don't think promoting violence, even in the face of of hatred, is the way to go about this, right? Um, you don't want to become that enemy, right? The people who fight prejudice and racism and uh, discrimination and everything like that. The people they're fighting against are people who inflict violence, you know, uh, you know, maybe some verbal aggression, etc., like that. And you know, if you became your enemy, if you became that person, that 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 racist, sexist person, who are, you are also using verbal violence or verbal aggression or physical violence, then you become no different than the person you're fighting against. So I think it's very much in that vein of Martin Luther King, um, et cetera, who realized that the peaceful protest is the most effective, right? Um, we know violent protests are the least effective of any protest. Um, there's some good academic um, data that shows that, you know, uh, movements that begin with physical violence usually flounder, they usually don't last long. But the peaceful protest, the people who are out there um, protesting for sure, they are fighting for what they believe in, but they're using their words, they're using uh, a way to connect with other people, and maybe they're confronting people with, with uh, you know bad views, but they're not using violence. And those, those movements, those protests are usually more effective. So I think it's something that we're missing um, in the current conversation, which brings me to my topic of the day. Um, you know, it's probably you've probably seen it in the in media, but you know, kind of that idea of, of what I'm calling is uh, is intolerance. That's kind of growing on the extreme right and the extreme left. Um, a lot of people are calling it the intolerant left, but you know, the intolerant right is also very pertinent. Um, both of these groups are basically being intolerant of people who don't agree with them. Um, and um, I have a, a, a personal story about this that I wanted to, the reason I'm saying is all this because I've had my run-in with, with people who are intolerant of other people's views. And um, I'm gonna get into it here in a little bit to, to discuss why this is you know, clearly pushing people away, but, um, you know, what, how we as a, as a society, how we as a group of friends and family and people who live in the same ecosystem, how we can be intolerant of each other 
um, is a, a major setback on all the progress that you know people for decades and centuries have done through incremental changes, right? There's a great po uh, uh, podcast from Freakonomics on incrementalism, but it's just small changes, little by little, that are more effective than the large, massive changes that many people try to do, um, but just kind of showing that incrementalism, that small changes, little by little, have a longer lasting effect than major uh, systemic one-time changes do. Um, you know, I, that, that fruit, that have a fruition of, you know, the, the goals that they're trying to achieve. But anyway, so what I wanted to get into, what I want to kind of, what I, what happened to me was I had a, an acquaintance who is a, a very progressive leaning person, um, you know, discussing, um, the issues obviously with the current administration and a lot of the restrictions and, um, you know a lot of the a lot of the you know the obvious issues we have with the the current administration and the current legislation and the article we were reading or the article that was posted was about uh it, it was an article explaining how people who are in the middle moderates who want to find a a way to bridge the gap between the two extreme views finding a more reasonable position like you know let's Let's find common ground. Let's negotiate. Um, it was essentially, in my interpretation, was was bashing that moderate position that a lot of us are in to say, we get both of your arguments and we want to find something more in the middle to solve these problems. And I think according to this article that I was reading, which was obviously a super left-leaning uh, view of things, but it was essentially saying that if you're a moderate, if you're not, you know, if you don't have these views that are extreme left issues, then you're a part of the problem. And, um, you know, I, t I, t I took issue with that because, um, you know, we understand from the demographics from voting that most of Americans are in the moderate middle position, right? What we're calling, we're, what I'm calling, you know, a lot of people call independent or third party voting is really people who do not identify with Republicans and do not identify with Democrats, but they lean either liberal or conservative one way, um, or they lean third party, right? Libertarian like me. Um, and, you know, but, but, but within that circle, we're a lot more closer to each other and to talking about potential solutions to solve these problems than the extreme left and the, and the extreme right are, right? And the problem with being an extreme right and extreme left is that you have not only an extreme view, but you also have an extreme solution to all the things that you agree with. So I think what, what, um, what I observe with the extreme left and the extreme right is that there's a massive gap, right? Uh, most, of, most of the Americans who are more in the moderate position you know, maybe a little bit closer to being liberal, maybe a little bit closer to being conservative, but they're in the middle position, right? Um, and they want to find an issue to all these things, but they want reasonable, um, they want reasonable solutions to these issues. And I think what happens when you go to kind of extreme thinking is that you get into this us versus them 
uh, me against the world. If you're not for us, you're against us um, type of mentality, which we all know is called tribalism, right? You're in one camp and then you have this, your enemy is in another camp. And if, you know, people haven't chosen a camp, then they're part of the problem too. Um, so we've gotten to this point in our political conversation where, you know, people are essentially being completely dismissive of people who don't agree with their views, right? And if, it, it, like I said, if it's this mentality of if you're not for us, you're against us, right? If you're not, a, if you're not an extreme progressive, then you are the problem, right? Or the ver vice versa, right? If you are not an extreme conservative, then you're a part of the problem. Um, and we completely miss this gap of politics where people are working together to find common ground, right? And I thought about this in sense of when I look at politics and then I look at my work, my you know business, um, working in the market, um, when I have clients, you know, when we have clients that we work with, um, they may not agree with our values 100%, but we have to find some common ground and some middle um, positions that help both of us, right? So even if even if we have two different opposing, if we even have two different goals that aren't exactly 100% aligned, we can at least find the middle ground and say, okay, you know, maybe we don't agree 100% in the direction of where both of us are going. But for now, in this position, maybe here are the common points, right? Maybe we want to do business here and here. Maybe we want to focus on, uh, you know, you know, if we can find common ground on like, you know, our safety and our standards and stuff like that, uh, as long as we can meet those requirements, right? And kind of contractually um, commit, you know, contractually stick to our obligations and we have maybe you're looking for these types of things and then you're looking and I'm looking for these types of things. I'm willing to um, concede to certain things that I understand that are not of high value to me, but maybe of high value to you. So why would I fight those things? Why would I just say, okay, let's do this. And as a negotiation, if I do this, you'll do that, right? And if both parties agree on it, then that is what you call working together, right? Um, and you may be in two different camps, but you can still work together. You know, it's done in the in the world of business all the time, right? That's, I mean, it's so crucial, so essential to negotiation um, in business. I mean, nothing would get done if we didn't know how to negotiate and find this middle ground of saying, you know, I may not agree with you 100%, but the parts that I agree with you are one, two, and three. So maybe we focus on this. Now, obviously, if you have some certain values that are of high importance to you to say, well, this and this I highly value, and these are non-negotiable, um, that's completely understandable, right? But now we're talking in a position where it's not a black and white, if you're not, if you're not for me, you're against me. It's more of a, these are the things I value, you know, these are the things that I, if we work together, these are the things that I will not change, right? These are the things that I want done if you want this from me, right? And that other person in the party and, and the other second party has to say, okay, we either agree with that or we will concede that um, if we get X, Y, and Z. And as long as both parties agree, 
then you have cooperation. Then you have people working together for a common good. And that's how the market works, right? Um, two people understand what uh, each person values and how each party can help each other, a mutual agreement. Um, and then you build on that agreement, right? And we know from clearly from you know all the interactions we've had with free trade and free markets in the in in the in the globe right that that open exchange and that open conversation that open dialogue is what really helps us get along much better than you know uh building walls and not working together right and we've seen that right we look at systems that do not um you know do not do free exchange that not do do not do free markets and they are completely enclosed and they crumble right whereas the other markets that are out there we're exchanging goods and services and people and ideas um, we're learning from each other and we're realizing that hey human rights human values he here are the the skeletal items that it seems everybody can agree on um, and then let's build let's build from that you know let's build from that mutual respect if we can have these core basic ideas, then let's start from there and let's build from there. But we have to keep talking. We have to keep the communication lines open. And what I think is happening um, on both on both sides, the extreme right and the extreme left. But what I'm seeing lately is uh, more of an aggression from the left, more than the right. I think the right you know, the alt-right is a lot of people say, but the extreme right or conservative Republicans, I think because they're kind of in power right now, you have, you know, the president and then you have uh, the Senate who are majority Republicans and conservatives. Um, right now, they're not as threatened by the other side. Um, so they're kind of a little bit more passive, calm. Um, but if the tables were flipped, you know, like if you remember when Obama... President Obama, his administration, and they had a Democratic majority um, House and Senate, and conservative Republicans were livid. I mean, absolutely angry. Um, and then now the tables are flipped. You have, you know, extreme uh, left. I call the alt left, uh, but you would probably call them progressives or whatever, Democratic socialists or whatever, you know, that extreme end. Um, these people are not in power, so now they are the upset ones. Um, and it, it's to me those extreme ends are always at each other's throats and when the tables are turned they act like the other person right and we all know this right you had you had um, you know Democrats and progressives when B President Obama was in charge um, and we had a Democratic majority you know the, the conservatives were yelling at them going hey you know we can't you know let's let's not do this affordable care act and there's you know, too much debt and you know there's this uh, super social cultural agenda etc like you know we won't stand for this etc etc and then obviously the democrats uh and the progressives were like hey chill out man you know don't be so mean like they were playing this totally passive aggressive position but now that it's flipped you know, now that it's flipped, progressive, democratic progressives are now the ones that are livid. And they're, you know, kind of in that same position where conservative Republicans were like, something's wrong. You know, uh, the boy who cried wolf, 
Um, things are going to go to hell in a handbasket. Now you have the progressives who are saying the same thing to conservatives that the world is going to go to hell in the handbasket if you keep doing X, Y, Z. And the Republicans are not acting like the Democrats from the previous administration where they're like, you know what, I'm not threatened. You know, just chill out. It's not that big of a deal, etc. So I, I think there's a cycle in this. And it, it's a very obvious one. It's not. I'm not saying anything that's that's brand new to the to the to the ideas. But there's something we need to kind of not forget is our political history. Um, is that idea that these things are kind of in, in in cycles, and when Democrats are in power, the Republicans are mad. The Democrats are chill, um, like nothing's wrong. And then when it flips, when Republicans are in power, they pretend like nothing's wrong and everything's okay. And then the Democrats pretend like the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket. So just don't 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 forget that. Right. When when they both play those parts, don't forget to remind them. Right. That you were in the opposite position before. And, you know, this is kind of where I got to say I kind of get myself in trouble because I always remind people that, hey, don't forget to look yourself in the mirror because that person on the other side was you 10 years ago, right? Uh, or I'm sorry, not even that, right? It was that, that, that other person is you four years ago, right? You were the one that was pretending that there was not a big problem with all of the stuff we were doing. And then on the other side, you know, you were yelling, you know, the world is going to hell. And then you just flipped the entire role and now you're, you know, playing the other role. Um, so maybe... Maybe put yourself in that other person's shoes and uh, understand that that was you, you know, just four years ago. So instead of, I don't know, instead of kind of being an a-hole about it, why don't you just say, hey, you know what? I get it. I was there um, four years ago, um, but right now we've got the upswing and this is what we're going to do. You know, get your people out there to vote. Change things if you want to, but do it the right way. Um, <laughs> I guess but anyways, uh, but I think, you know, circling back to this extreme left and extreme right view, you know, this idea that, especially as libertarians, as, as people in the moderate position, we understand a lot of these issues, right? So if you think about how we connect with the extreme left, um, I always tell people, in my, in my opinion, is like, look, what we have in common, I mean, you know, libertarianism, you know, is founded from classical liberalism, right? The understanding of freedom of the individual from the state, right? So anything that you're, you know, anything that you talk about is immigration or guns or economy or healthcare, it should always lean in the direction of individuals choosing what they want. Um, and, and then you branch your politics from there, right? Ideally. So we have a lot of common themes there with the progressive left, right? We know there's a racial inequality, right? We know we need criminal justice reform. We know we need kind of women's equality, um, um, same-sex equality, uh, I'm sorry, marriage, marriage equality. We need to be pro-choice. Um, we need to favor pro-choice and not just whether you want a child or not, but school choice, medical choice, um, 
choices in general you should be able to choose as an adult. Um, so we ideally fundamentally lay in that classical liberal position where we have some commonalities with the left who understand that there are these issues with equality, um, understand there are all these issues with civil liberties um, and a system that is still unequal um, is you know the laws are not distributed equally uh, whether you have a racial issue or a gender issue or uh, a sexual identity issue or whatever it is um, we we have the same idea that that we recognize the same problems even climate change right I think it's safe to say we should have more libertarians now on the side of we understand that there's a climate change problem right that the war the temperatures and environmental effects are being impacted by human behavior now how much that is what we need to do the solutions on the other side is where we do differ from the progressive left our solutions are different right and that's what i try to tell people is we actually see the same problems we see the same issues but what we're trying to offer is a different solution a different idea right we want we want uh like a, a little uh incubator of different ideas and that we can try these different things um just like we do in the market right uh different we have multiple choices of different products uh, multiple different ideas of things and avenues that you want to go into and i think as a libertarian we understand the moderate position where they're saying we just want some ideas and maybe some practical solutions to these issues that we're having but if you go to the extreme left the progressive left there's only one answer and there's there's only one i'm sorry there's only one problem and there's only one answer and i think when i try to explain this to my friends that are on the progressive left i try to say hey we actually see the same problems as you um, that's the overlap. The difference is our answers. The difference is the solutions. We see solutions a little bit more varied than what you're looking at, right? Um, and I say that very uh, indirectly, but there's certain things that, you know, the progressive position always goes to. And, you know, and I don't want to do a cart, you know, a, a blanket statement, but to say that most of the time the progressive solution involves government intervention right um, it doesn't involve the free market ever and that's where we run into the problems is that uh, you know a progressive position always assumes that people individuals whether it's a individual person or a private company will always make the wrong choice and that they need government um, intervention to help them make the right choice it's a bit patriarchal uh, which is kind of ironic because that's a big issue that they kind of wrestle with is the the patriarchy, right, of uh, dominant white males uh, making choices for them um, that they don't like. Uh, but then their solution is to take control and then force everybody else to their will. Just not a male white dominance, but their own dominance of whatever identity they have. It It seems... Um, it seems self-defeating to say that, you know, you are forcing us to your will and I need to take over so I can force my will onto you and ha ha, now we're even, uh, this is what it feels like, 
in your face. And that's not really the libertarian position. That's not really the moderate position, right? We want, you know, we want people to make their own choices. We don't want society be to be dominated by, you know, old white guys, so to speak. Um, we want choices. We want people to come up and we want people to, you know, make something of themselves, um, regardless of gender or ethnicity or culture or sexual identity. We just want people to have good ideas. Right. And I think that's where the moderate position comes in and the libertarian position where they come a lot closer to each other. It's like, you know what? I need some good ideas, you know, and that was the big problem, problem with Hillary Clinton. Right. The Democratic position thought, hey, we have we have a female uh, we have a female person in the lead. This we could totally push this as the first female president. Let's get this over the line, etc. But I think what they totally forgot was, you know, Hillary Clinton is. Uh, doesn't have any new original ideas you know she has a, a very solid you know democratic position um, running in the same circles as President Trump uh, President Bush etc um, she doesn't offer any new solutions and, uh, and 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 she totally got called out for it right um, her influence from Wall Street um, you know, all her connections, all her questionable connections, all that stuff, it all came crashing down on her. And I think very specifically, I think the thing that was the nail in the coffin was how they pushed out Bernie Sanders, right? The Democratic Party pushed out Bernie Sanders in favor of Hillary Clinton, and they intentionally pushed him out. Um, they probably did, right, what? They, I mean, I have no evidence against, I have no evidence for this, but they probably try to do some some back-end deals to get Bernie out of the way, promised him, you know, the, the moon and the stars and probably got nothing out of it. But just to get Hillary Clinton over the line, and she totally got toppled. Um, because I think they were trying to lean in too much on the fact that she would be the first female president um, and just totally forgot that her ideas were bankrupt, you know. And now she's trying to come in and saying, like, maybe I should run again. Talk about the best way to just sink the Democratic Party. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, God help them. You know, they 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 mean well, but their execution is just so bad. Um, you know, somebody needs to tell Hillary Clinton that, hey, we we need um, we need something fresh. We need we need somebody fresh. You know, we get the idea that we do need a female president, but we also need a female president who's got good ideas and um, not just a schmoozer, not just somebody who's, you know, part of the deep state, so to speak. I'm sure you've heard that statement. We need somebody else. Um, and there's so many different, there's so many, there's so many, so many female candidates out there in the Democratic Party and, and the Republican Party that you would think that they would find somebody else who could match that, who's got better ideas. And there are. There are plenty of, of representatives that in the Democratic and um, the Republican Party um, who have some great ideas, who actually lean a little bit more libertarian than, um, than you know Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And um, I think it would be a great way to say, hey, we, we listen to the voters, 
we understand that we are not moving in the direct direction so we're going to change it up and we're, we're going to listen to what the voters are saying but n they're not going to do that right they're going to fall on their own sword so to speak i think you know my original uh um guess was that the republican party was going to crumble but i think what ended up happening is donald trump donald trump kind of took advantage of this crumbling uh party and glued it together and uh i think he's really in control of the republican party right now there's so many fissures of you know religious right um conservative republicans moderate republicans libertarian leaning republicans we just have you know all these different ideas um different ideas and they're not exactly working together um i could totally see the Repu you know republicans splitting at some point but i'm waiting to see what's going to happen with that i know plenty of republicans unhappy with president trump um and i know people are going uh, moving in their own directions i think what's happening in the democratic party is that you do have a collective um you know different groups you know, of with different focuses and they're trying to come together um to kind of channel their energy so to speak in the right direction i just think i just think they're i, I think those voices of reason are being drowned out by the extreme left um that are, are very uh, not i would say extremists it's not like they're um you know they're not terrorists or anything like that but they have ideas that are so polarizing that they don't attract and they don't draw people to them. And I think we as libertarians and we uh, anybody out there who's a moderate or independent, I think this kind of hodgepodge of people that make up the majority of Americans in the middle, um, I think we really need to start working together. And that's really what I want to drive the point that I and, and that I've that I've really come to a little bit more in the last few years is the fact that whether you're a libertarian or a Democrat or Republican or independent or moderate, we really need to start finding common ground, finding common ground where you can, right? And then obviously, if there are certain uh, parts where you don't agree with them, then we can talk about those and we can make it known that I don't agree with you on this but I agree with you on that, and I'd rather drive my focus on the things that we can actually agree on. And I, <clears throat> in other countries, you know, we have uh, other countries. They have multiple parties, and the way they get laws and legislation and manage their government is through coalitions, right? They learn to work together on certain topics. So for us to be able to work to for as libertarians and moderates and independents, for us to be able to work with um, you know, the extreme left on civil liberties or, um, you know, working with the environment on climate change, um, you know, working to end the drug war, etc. like that. The, we need to kind of focus on those key areas that we actually agree on and, and discuss solutions and open the ideas up of, of opening that maybe there's some other solutions that you haven't thought about and let's discuss them right like i have some ideas right ending the drug war i have some ideas right you know civil liberties and and social uh social equality i have some other ideas right i have got some things that i think um, are a little bit more academically stronger than what's currently being offered um etc cetera, etc cetera, right um and i think i think if you if we approach it like that then 
we really we can really come together and you can still hold your identity right hold your identity as a libertarian without you know having to cave into you know the entire platform of progressivism or the entire platform of conservatism right like maybe you know conservative you know, well <laughs> conservatives tend to lean a little bit more on deregulation and free market uh, unfortunately donald trump doesn't act that way um, with his protectionism policy but let's say they do prefer um you know a market that's deregulated that favors open markets well we need to get in that conversation and we need to have good civil conversations about how um, trade wars do not help the american people and do not help the free market that it actually hurts us we need to start having those conversations and explain how those things like hey we do agree with 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 free market you know we do agree with deregulation but we have to understand how certain aspects of the way they approach um, free market and capitalism, so to speak, um, how these things hurt us in the long run. And we have to be able to have that conversation to help us move that dial over. Um, or things like the Second Amendment, right? We have to understand, you know, our Second Amendment, what that means in today's uh, today's land, uh, context, and how can we pro how can we have solutions to public safety when it comes to mass shootings? Have realistic understanding of how violence is going, because um, I hate to tell people, but violence is on a downward trend, even including mass shootings. We're still on a downward trend, even though there's more people owning guns. Um, so I think understanding that correlation to say, yeah, you know, these mass shootings are are very are very sad, very unfortunate. Um, we need to understand these problems a little bit better. Absolutely, we need to be in the conversations to understand to understand what brings us to this point. Um, but we also have to understand the realities of hey, I know we are embroiled in, you know, social media and television inundation where every, the only thing they report are the problems, right? All the mass shootings that are going on, it's a major, major media coverage. So we're being oversaturated with, with you know, shootings, etc. But if we look at the trend of violence, you know, violence has gone down the last three to four decades three to four decades it's been drastically going down including mass shootings um despite that more people are owning guns so there's a an you know uh inverse correlation between mass shootings and gun ownership and that we have to understand where it's really coming from you know and i think you know what what, what has been shown in the academic research is that you know uh mass shootings and not just mass shootings but gun violence right suicide domestic violence you know you know husbands and wives that shoot each other um, suicide um, suicide with a gun and mass shootings are all linked to people who have a violent past violent tendencies so maybe if we focus on that and how do we narrow the scope um, of being able to find identify these people and then find some rehabilitation or some help before they get to that situation, um, I think that would have some great 
um, results. But I think overall, if you look at the overall result of violence, overall violence has gone down. And there's also some major links to um, the economy, right? Um, there's a increase um, in there, globally. There's an increase in middle class. Um, I I think I reported it last time that we have uh, I think over fifty percent of the world's population is considered middle class. The first time in history that that's happened. We've had the lowest um, percentage of extreme poverty in the world. I think it's down to less than ten percent. That's the first time it's ever happened in in human history. And I think, you know, the economic trends also um, are correlated to violence. I think when the economy is better, violence does go down. When the economy gets bad, violence goes up. I think that's pretty common. Um, and I think we have to understand those links as well. Um, and even, you know, talking about, speaking of economy, even with immigration, right? We know that when a country has a bad economy, um, their migration or immigration to the United States goes up because they're trying to escape an impoverished situation. But when those economies do better, immigration goes down. And we see that with Mexico, right? Mexico and Canada, our neighbors. You know, originally we saw it with Canada because Canada, um, you know, is a, Canada's economy is now very competitive. And so there's fewer and fewer Canadians that are coming down to the United States. And likewise with Mexico. You know, Mexico has had such a boom in the economy the last two decades an increase in middle class, an increase in job opportunities, um, that immigration from Mexico to the United States has just completely gone down to next to nothing, right? So now we're seeing immigration from other countries in Central and South America who are escaping, guess what? They're escaping socialism, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> a great concept on the extreme left. Um, they're escaping those... Um, impoverished situations of socialist countries that are absolutely failing them and they're coming to a free market system. Um, so just remember that. Um, I think the more we can help those um, countries liberalize their economy and liberalize their governments, um, the better those economies do, the less we see on immigration. So I think the most proactive, the most... <laughs> ultimate libertarian thing would do to do would be to go out and start offering free exchange free trade with these countries let them get a taste of what it means to be a capitalist society um, and exchange ideas exchange what's going on understand their situation um, and then being able to have that free market solution um, available to them and introduce them um, in a voluntary way uh, what capitalism, what free market and, and democracy means. Most countries have democracies now, but there are quite a few. But a lot of countries still don't have a free market, free trade system. They still have heavily government-controlled uh, government markets, government-controlled services. And I think the more they see um, systems that are a little bit less regulated and they see the success that has happened there, I think the more they're going to want to turn away from those types of things. Um, and they want, you know, they're going to want, they're going to demand more um, free market, you know, uh, they're going to want choices, you know. So I think ultimately it all ties together. Um, and, and, you know, thinking about my conversation with my friend who is an extreme progressive, I think we need to have um, kind of not a, um, 
a left versus right conversation. I think as libertarians and moderates and independents, we need to have like a, we need to think of a third option type of thing, right? Kind of find a, a different path. And I think that's been my conversations lately with with um, the extreme left and the extreme right is to say, hey, um, your your view is a little bit extreme, and but I see the problem that you're raising, but have you thought about a different solution, right? Have you heard, have you entertained an idea of, you know, X, Y, Z? And a lot of times they don't. And a lot of times they won't admit it to say that, no, we haven't thought about that idea or, or whatever it is, right? Usually they're stuck on one idea, one problem, one solution, and they're not open to other ideas. But I think it's very important that we confront that problem that we're facing in politics today is to say, hey, I'm recognizing that I don't, I am not seeing other solutions. I am not seeing um, other options out there. And I need to kind of realize that I'm kind of being way too uh, narrow-minded. Um, I'm being a little bit stubborn on this and I need to open my eyes about something that works. And same thing with libertarians, y'all. I mean, sometimes we can... <laughs> I know in our circles, we have a tendency to be super, like, uh, limited government, right? We move in that direction where it's like no government, you know? It's like we escalate ourselves from... We believe in limited government and, you know, more freedoms for people. And then we take that whole thing and we just completely go anarcho on it. And it's like, I don't want government involved anytime and any place and anywhere... And then we just take this extreme position as well, right? An extreme third position. So I think what's really important is to keep us level-headed, keep us in that middle position to say, hey, we recognize that government is needed on certain things and we need a little bit more reasonable solution to these problems. We need to move in the direction where we give people more freedom and allow kind of government and individuals to work in a nice ecosystem right where government understands its place the individual still has their freedom and ability to choose what they want to and that's how you live in a good ecosystem right and i think really another thing that ties a lot of things things together is you know i think i want to call it the science but we need to be a little bit more academically sound you know and i think about those things like climate change i think about um, you know, um, racial or uh, gender inequality, um, those types of things. I look at those and I, and I think what's really missing in that conversation of the extreme left and the extreme right is for sure the academic data, the academic science of what the reality of that issue is. Um, and I think when you go in and you say, hey, here's the, here's the information, here's what's, what's going on in the study and the statistics, um, a lot of times you'll get confronted, but I think the more you introduce it, the more you show it, the more that information branches out. And at some point, I believe, I believe personally, that at some point people will either, you know, uh, take a little bit more of a moderate position or maybe they change their minds altogether. I know a lot of people out there say that, you know, we're all kind of stubborn, we're never going to change our ways. But, you know, me personally, I haven't experienced that. Um, I've probably met more people who are either in a moderate, um, who are, you know, either in a moderate position, or maybe didn't like Democrat or Republican, and who has said, you know what, I was, you know, listening to all the things you were saying. I think you got some really good points. 
you know, I might vote libertarian for the first time, right? Or maybe they were saying, well, I was used to be a conservative and I realized that they weren't really conservative. They don't believe in limited government or free markets or free people. Um, they are actually believing in a little bit more controlled conservative, what I'm calling conservative socialism. Um, and that's not what I agree with either. So I'm going to be moving, moving towards a libertarian position. Or same thing with, you know, people um, who were in a more uh, liberal um progressive position and they realize like oh maybe i went too far and classical liberalism is where i'm at maybe i'm going libertarian position and there's more people um you know with the libertarian party there's always i think i think they're seeing a great increase in voter registration and libertarian party registration and it's a lot of from the young folks the young folks who um, do have a little bit more of a liberal leaning position but they understand this idea of government, you know, government being the answer, the first answer you have to everything is probably not the right answer. Um, and that we need a little bit more of a moderated position, uh, but we understand these things need to change. So uh, you're not gonna get that from a progressive, you know, uh, democratic position. And I think, I, I personally believe, you know, from the conversation that I've had with people, there are, there's definitely in the extreme left circle, there's arise in this want for democratic socialism but what i'm seeing in the trends is you know less people are identifying as democrats and democrat socialist right in the same vein and less people are identifying as conservative republicans so both of these ends are slowly shrinking themselves to nothing and the middle position right the independent moderate third party position is growing at a better at a faster rate than democrats and republicans so i think there's more people in my opinion that are leaning towards that classical liberal position that libertarian position that moderate independent position that understands each of these topics has nuances each of these things we need to be working together and find commonalities on on these things and get things moving i think that's really the the future of the United States, in my opinion, of American politics, but naturally we're always going to get dominated by these, you know, loud voices on the left and right. You know, everybody's going. To, you're always going to get the attention when you say the most outlandish thing. Just look at the president, right? He always says something outlandish, and you're like, Jesus, what? What is this person? What is this president going to say next? Um, and you know that's his strategy. You know he's going to say something dumb, outlandish, something that doesn't make sense. But he's going to do it because he knows he can get people's attention. He can get people riled up, and I think a lot of social, a lot of um, media outlets have not figured that out yet. I think they're still giving him a lot of attention and credence, and instead of kind of you know uh, ignoring him and you know moving on to more important topics, they're always going to harp on him. So, um, yeah, we're we're just not going to we're not going to get past the Trump effect if we. Um, if we keep yelling at everything he does, we at some point we're going to have to ignore him, right? And I, I kind of feel like I'm getting to that position where every time there's always a topic where he is putting himself in the middle of everything and I'm realizing this, this strategy that is happening, right? Every time he says something, we react and uh, that gives him power. And I think for me, uh, I'm learning a little bit more to speak less about the president and more about the topics that are going on, talk about principles as a libertarian, and then ultimately talking about 
our own region, our own area, Tex-Mex, Texas, you know, Houston for me specifically, you know, what do these positions mean and what do these politics mean in, in the real world sense of what's going on? And I got to be honest with you, not to say Houston's a bubble, but, you know, we have such a good diversity of cultures and, um, and ethnicities. Um, and for some reason, we've been able to get along uh, much better than uh, other other major metropolitan areas. Um, we've been able to get along really well with each other. And um, it would be really nice to unlock the secret of that sauce to understand why we do get along with each other, right? Um, maybe it is the food. Maybe we just, you know, we go to the breakfast club, we all sit down, regardless of, you know, our race, our ethnicity, we just go there and enjoy some great freaking food. We go eat Vietnamese crawfish. We sit down next to each other, we eat great freaking food, and we understand, we revel in that idea that, man, we are in this market, right? We're in this this volunteer exchange of ideas, and we're just sitting there, and we're enjoying it, you know? And we're put, maybe we're putting politics to the side, and we're saying, you know what? I don't care if you're pro-life or not, right? I don't care if you're pro-life or pro-choice. Um, you know, I don't care if you are pro-immigrant or anti-immigrant. Let's just sit here for a minute enjoy food, enjoy each other's company, enjoy happiness for a split second. And then when we're done, when we leave those doors, maybe we can go out, maybe we can disagree with each other. But for this one little moment, let's, let's enjoy the food. Let's enjoy, let's enjoy the ambiance for now, you know, and then we can go out there and do those things. I think, I don't want to call it a safe space, but for sure it's understanding that mutual respect for each other, even if we don't agree with each other. Um, that's really very important, uh, you know, as a human, but I think, you know, especially as libertarians, we have to understand, we have to respect these people. We have to respect each other. And, you know, maybe I don't agree with your views, or maybe I think your views are too extreme. Maybe I do think you're racist, right? Maybe I do think you're sexist, but, you know, I have to, I know that the only way to get that, to get through that is to work with you, to work close with you so I can help, so I can kind of chip away at that, right? Incrementally, I can chip away with that. And we know that, right? There's a, I'm going to have to look this up later and, and share the link, but there's this, uh, you know, this uh, African-American dude in Louisiana who befriends um, members of the KKK, right? We and, and this is a great story. I'd love to tell it, but um, I'd love to uh, share the article. But there's this guy, African-American dude, in Louisiana, whose his life mission is to befriend KKK members, get to know them, right? Eat dinner with them, get to know their views, um, talk to them, spend day to day with them, eat dinner with them, meet their families, etc. And then at some point, these super racist, you know, KKK extreme skinheads or whatever, they realize that, you know what, he's not that bad. Maybe I was completely wrong about my view about African Americans. And he has been able to convert, I, I don't even remember the number, but he's been able to convert a major number of people who originally thought they were, you know, screaming white power and, you know, shaving their heads and getting Nazi tattoos and all this other stuff. You know, they're thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm a diehard, you know, white power guy or whatever. And then he converts them and he goes, and all of them, every single one that I that I that I listened to on this uh, interview, and then I think it was like a YouTube and an article as well. But they were like, "Yeah, I got to know this guy, and uh, you know, he was a really nice guy." And I realized that I was extremely wrong 
for thinking that uh, you know joining the KKK and being super pro white was a right was the right thing. I was completely wrong, and you know this dude, this dude is like the a brave soul, right? Because he understands that if he was out there to shout at them and say you racist a holes or whatever, you're a piece of shit or whatever it is, if he was to dehumanize these people they would never change right they would always be staunch in their positions and he realized that you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna get to know these people i want to humanize them right and let them see my human side um and then hopefully we at some point hit a break or hit a point of okay maybe i was really wrong and this guy is really a nice guy right despite my preconceived notions about race or uh, culture or whatever I'm completely wrong and I need to abandon my old ideas because they are wrong as well. And uh, you know, I feel the same way for me as a, as a Mexican American. I grew up in, in an area that was predominantly, um, you know, predominantly white, predominantly Caucasian. And uh, I always came to certain prejudices or certain uh, generalizations or, you know, quasi racist statements. But I knew in my mind that these people were were friends. They were people I see on a daily basis. I, I couldn't just hate on them like that because they were hating on other people. I had to, you know, be take it take a little bit more care and say, hey, you know, that's not cool, man. Or, you know, I know you're not like that. Like I know you're a nice person, but saying something like that is wrong. And and little by little, you chip away at that, you know, you chip away in a, in a very um, humane, white, humane way. You get to the point where you're, you're, that group realizes, hey, you know what? I used to think this way and I'm completely wrong. I'm completely sorry. You know, it does happen. People can change. And I think as libertarian, as a Mexican-American, as a Texan, you know, we have to give people a chance we have to, just like free trade, you know, you have to be in that exchange with the person to be able to affect any change. If you're not in that exchange, if you're not, um, you know, if you're seeing things from a distance from over the wall, so to speak, or behind the wall, so to speak, you'll never find that exchange of ideas. You'll never be able to make changes happen. So we have to be in it. We have to be in the exchange we have to be in the problem, right? We have to understand what's going on and being able to affect change versus looking at it from this, you know, from high level view behind the wall and judging other people for what they do or what they don't do. We have to be in it, you know, we have to be in these problems. Um, we have to understand the nuances. We have to understand that not everybody's gonna have the same answer. Not, you know, there's gonna be multiple answers here and we've gotta be able to understand that spectrum and and maybe pull some things from other people maybe other people have great ideas and we just need to take from them as well and work together like that so anyway so you know i uh um I, the conversation i had with this person really made me think about that you know in terms of the libertarian position am i too extremely libertarian right or the conservative republican position is it too extremely conservative republican or the you know the progressive uh, Democrat is it too extreme on the progressive side of it? How are we going to fix these issues that we have going on? 
And the only way we're going to be able to do that is working together on common goals, common interests. And uh, I think, I, I really believe in that, right? I really believe that ultimately we're going to have to work together. We're going to have to find the common grounds. Um, even if we don't agree with each other 100%, we're going to have to find the common grounds. Um, you know, and I think about, you know, the stuff we do, uh, I do professionally at work, um, you know, in the market. Um, I have to work and get along with people that may not share my values or that have the same goals. I have to find the common ground and being able to find some mutual agreement there. Um, and that's how it works, right? That's how negotiation works. Um, that's how the market works. We find some common ground. We exchange some ideas or services. And then from there, that's the base of how we learn from each other, right? And then that's the base of how we change. So anyways, so thinking about topics like, you know, gender equality, um, marriage equality, um, sexual identity, sexual discrimination, um, you know, equality, that type of thing. Civil liberties in general. Um, I think we need to find some common ground, you know, and I think as a libertarian, we understand that everybody should be treated equally. Everybody should have the equal capability to choose their lives the way they want to. Whether that means we're talking about gender issues or racial issues or uh, LGBTQ issues or free market issues, right? Healthcare, um, you know, uh, choosing business, uh, um, you know, free trade, um, et cetera, et cetera. We've got to understand that's our position. That's the one we should encourage. But if we have to find common ground, let's find let's find some nuances there, right? So I think we need to bring that back. We for sure need to bring back the power of that moderate, the power of the third party, the power of the independent, because they have the flexibility to be able to find common ground. You know, so we're in a really unique position to really pull things together, to really unite people the way we should voluntarily. Right. You know, let's work together on this one issue. I know you don't agree with me on this, but you know, the the drug war, we can really work together on this. Can we focus on this for now? Yes. Boom. We have voluntary cooperation. That's that's like uber libertarian, right? <laughs> and uh and so let let's let's keep doing that, right? I know I got to get in this habit out of myself too where it's like you're attacking the left, you're attacking the right. Um and then we are kind of, you know, patting ourselves on our back because we are libertarian. Um, you know, we're not idiots like those other people. But for sure, we need to kind of dial it back a little bit and understand like, OK, this is our position. This is how different it is from Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and progressives. But this is where we have in common. You know, this is where we can actually agree on something. This is where actually we can agree on the left and agree on the right. Um, and that's where we're going to be able to affect change. So something to think about. Um, I know, you know, the hyperbole has just gotten to a fever pitch between Republicans and Democrats. And uh, I think we need to kind of bring it back a little bit and understand we all come from the same root, from the same origin. Right. We're all immigrants from something from somewhere. Um, and we're all here for opportunity and freedom to be able to be be who we want to and um, enjoy the enjoy free trade enjoy a good life 
um, and we wanted to voluntarily work with each other, I think these things we can agree on and we just need to make sure we pass on the proper message. So anyway, so I'm going to close it up. I'm going to wrap it up today, but I just wanted to say, um, you know, thank y'all for listening. Um, I want y'all to um, please give me your feedback either on Facebook or here on Podbean. This is the one I use here. Um, give me your comments. Let me know what you're thinking. Um, I also have an email address if you ever want to shoot me an email. It's libertariantexmex at gmail.com. If you have any uh, ideas, any anything new, any anything that's on your mind, um, I, want, I want to revel in the, the market of ideas and free trade, free exchange of thoughts um, and concepts and maybe answers to, so, uh, to problems that we have right now. I want to hear those. So don't hesitate to reach out. Um, but uh, again, thank you all for listening. And um, I will be messaging everybody um, before Thanksgiving, maybe a short message. And um, be hearing from me soon.